<clears throat> okay, we're going to take a few minutes, probably two minutes, to do our opening question. And so we'd love for you to take uh, this opportunity to meet someone new as well. But if you had a million dollars, what would you want to do with it, right? And then uh, what is your greatest obstacle to giving generously? Even when I was thinking about my hypothetic million dollars, it was difficult for me to give my pretend money away, right? So I think we all feel the tension of giving generously. Um, and so, yeah, I would love for you guys to spend a few minutes on these two questions, and then we'll go into the text today. All right. I hope you guys had fun pretending to be rich. Uh, now back to your $4.5 lives. So I think about um, the difficulty of giving, Right, because, and I think, um, and I, I heard this before, and it actually really helped put um, money into perspective and also generosity into perspective. But I think we all feel the tension of how difficult it is to give money because it's not just money. If we were honest with ourselves, it's not just the um, dollar bills, right? It's, it's more important than that. And so, this is not like, please don't try to pick this apart because you can. So here's like a really general, one-sided, flawed view of money. But it helped me, by the way. So I think we've all heard time is money and money is time, right? And that's true. We exchange, um, in some ways, we exchange our time for money. We all go to work and we go to work for a certain amount of time. And we're compensated by a paycheck. And we're all... Uh, we're all in some ways trading in our time for money. Of course, you know, a lot of us love what we do and so on and so forth, but for simplicity. And then when you think about your life, it would be the summing up of all of your time on earth, right? Your life in some ways is the sum of all the time, all the hours and years that you have on earth. And so if time is money, uh, money is time and, t and time is life, then in some ways when we give money or when we have money, it's, it's life. And so parting with life is pretty difficult. Um, parting with something we traded in portions of our life for is a difficult task. I think that's my biggest obstacle when it comes to being generous, even with my pretend million dollars, is that there's a sense that when I give money away, I'm giving life away as well. You know, we followed a few themes from Easter, and one of the themes we talked about was resurrection, what it looks like to die and then be resurrected again. And then last week, we, we spoke about contentment and how we can't get to contentment and we can't feel the fulfilledness of, of Jesus until we first fill the need in ourselves, right? Need precedes grace. Um, hunger precedes the bread of life. And so I just kind of kept wrestling with this concept um, of fasting and what it looked like to have us physically experience hunger so that we long for God emotionally and spiritually as well. It's like this outward representation uh, of growing hunger. And we're saying we want that to represent and to become our inward life as well that this growing hunger and having space for that is actually a good thing because then we know we need Jesus. And we're saying that until we have him, we're not going to satisfy this with other things and also that we cannot. And I think giving feels 
has this pattern of death and resurrection as well. That as we give, there's this sense of dying if we're giving in some ways our life. But also there's a resurrection in sitting with emptiness and sitting with need and saying, God, it's not my, my degree, it's not my boss, it's not my career, but it's ultimately you that provides and satisfies. And so I hope that we can get there through the text this morning and that we would also think about money as more than something material and more than something that is peripheral, but that is important and spiritual and has eternal consequences. Because if we don't, if we don't do that, we start to segment and isolate one of the most important categories of our lives from our walk with the Lord. So Paul has a really personal um, context to the passage that we're going through. He's speaking to the Philippian church, and he had been with them for a long time. And now part of why he's writing this whole book is because he wants to encourage them. But why he wants to encourage them is because they're a church that has given generously to his ministry. It's been, they've been a big encourager and a big enabler for why Paul is able to do what he does. In, uh, we're going to finish off the book of Philippians today. So in chapter 4, verse 10, uh, we hit this last week, but we're going to talk about it again and then move to verse 14. It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. <clears throat> Yet it is good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days, your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. And so Paul was kicked out of uh, Philippi. There was this riot going on. And he continues, um, after he prays for the church, to plant other churches. And in this journey, the Philippian church invested into his ministry. And because of their investment, the Apostle Paul was able to plant more churches in their partnership with him. But also, they invested in Paul not only when he was doing well in ministry, when he was planting churches, but even when he was confined to a prison. They had lost touch with him. They didn't know what happened or where he was going. Communication was really sparse at the time. But once they found out he was in Rome in prison, they sent one of his elders to him to take care of his needs and with a large sum of money. Because at the time, uh, if you were a prisoner, you weren't taken care of. You could die from starvation or medical needs. The prison didn't take care of you. You were reliant on your friends and family to send people and to send money for your needs. And that's what the Philippian church does. <clears throat> One of the first things I see in this passage is that the Philippian church shared in the matter of giving and receiving. No one else did, but they did. There's a sense that the Philippian church wanted to invest in Paul and in his ministry, in him personally and in the work that he was going to do. One of my favorite shows is Shark Tank. Uh, any of you guys watch that show? I especially like it when they, the egos start battling, like the alter egos. That's like my favorite part. And then there's this guy named Chris 
Saka, and um, he's like a really big investor. And every time he goes up, he does this like self-promoting ego boost of how he invested in Uber and Spotify early on and how he was one of the creators of Instagram and Twitter, which is a really impressive resume. But it's funny because every episode he has to like revisit his resume. And, and those are the, that's like why I watch, right? And, um, and, it's, and all these investors are coming in and they have in their mind, they want to take part in this um, entrepreneur. They want to take part in the potential of how much they can make money and the kind of impact they can make with their new invention or with their business. And, you know, when I look at what it means to be Christians, I look at the history of the Christian faith and how people have saw kingdom investments in the same way that people have, have looked at what does it look like to invest in God's kingdom and get a return on investment, but in, ter- but in his kingdom expanding. Uh, Paul had people do that for him. And think about what it means to be like, man, I invested in Paul's ministry. That in these churches that were set up, I was one of the early investors and I got him that point I got him that boat ticket to Thessalonica or I got to uh, lay the foundations with my finances for the church in Philippi or or um, or in Rome that's pretty cool I think about Jesus he had people who invested in his ministry I, I mean if I put like uber which is like a really cool investment I'm like man that's so cool but then if I got to say, I helped invest in Jesus' trip from, like, Jerusalem to Judea. Or when he sat with the Samaritan woman, you know, I got to fund him for that. Wouldn't that be crazy? And, there was, and, and in the Bible, it explicitly said that there were some wealthy women who gave money to Jesus and his disciples so that they can travel from city to city sharing the good news, sharing the kingdom of God. What a crazy way to think about investing. Um, and then you go all the way back into the Old Testament where Moses has been given instruction for the tabernacle of God. And, he was, and there was a certain amount of gold that he was going to collect for the altar and for um, the Ark of the Covenant. There was um, different special um, rare stones he was going to collect for the priest's garments and jewelry. There was cloth and and linen that he was going to collect. So he puts it out there to the Israelites. And it says that the whole Israelites gave as one person, that their hearts were moved. And everyone brought their jewelry and their money and their silver and their cloth. And they laid it at Moses' feet all the way. And they did it so much that Moses had to ask people to stop giving. That's like a dream I have as a pastor, right? To be like, guys, we're not going to take offering. We have too much money. Um, that's what Moses did. He was like, guys, we have too much stuff. We're going to be able to build this temple, and it won't be a problem. And then I think about what it looked like for their family, you know, to take their kid up to the temple and be like, hey, you see that, that cloth outside? Um, dude, our family, your mom wove this together. You see that, you see part of that Ark of the Covenant, our family's gold was melted down to build that. And for generations, one kid after another, one generation after another, being able to point at different parts of the priest's garment and to say our family invested into um, this tabernacle 
into the priests, into the garments here. My dad, he's done um, immigrant ministry for a long time, especially when I was in college and as a young adult. <clears throat> and he would go to these houses, and maybe 20, 30 immigrants would live in a small house. It'd be uh, bunk beds stacked wall to wall, maybe five high and a 10-foot ceiling. And they would just kind of cram people in there. And my dad and his best friend would go and do ministry there. They would bring food and clothes for immigrants. They would drive them to the hospital and to the courthouse. And um, actually, even one time, one of the girls uh, was in danger because it's usually all guys. And they got to drive her to another safer location. And he did that for years. And a lot of people came to know Christ. I remember we had New Year's resolutions. And my dad's like, I want to see 100 people know Jesus. And in August, he's like, I'm done. You know, I'm like, Dad, you finished too early. Um, and uh, we would go to these restaurants, these dim sum places and Chinese restaurants with my parents. And almost regularly, someone, one of the waiters or workers in the back would walk up and tell me that my dad had served them that my dad had done uh, something for them or led them to Christ or, or gave them a practical need. And for me, this was a tangible way in which my dad invested into the kingdom that I got to see and touch and be a part of. And it was, it was phenomenal to be able to sit with him and, and see his investments, not in something earthly, but in something eternal. Um, I think about Renew when we first started, it was uh, two years ago, and two years ago, 2014, me and my wife got sent to plant Renew with about 15 people, but three months before that, I remember going to my friends and family and our church community and saying, hey, would you support us so that we can start a church? We want a church that's uh, diverse and multicultural. We want a church that's missional. We're praying for a church that will make an impact in Fullerton and around the world. And all I had was Justin's, like, PDF file of, like, cool graphics, you know, and the need of planting. And people gave. In three months, we raised about $100,000. And they gave so generously. And, and because of people's gifts, we're here today. That for... From the tabernacle to Jesus' ministry to the first churches on earth to Renew to Grace and Sarah and uh, Danelle and so many of us going on missions, we give, to the, we give to God's kingdom and we see it expand. And it's amazing. And I hope that at the end of your time on earth that you would have not only a physical portfolio but a spiritual portfolio as well. Um, that, has give, that has given to dividends. Um, when I was a kid, I remember I, had a, I was given a dime by my mom. Not that I could spend that. But I, I was like, God, I want to give you my dime, right? So I held it in my hand. I was in one of our study room. And I said, God, please take this dime. And I opened it up. And I, I was like disappointed that the dime was still in my hand. And um, so I prayed again, and then the dime still didn't disappear. So I started throwing it, you know, to help God in case he didn't want to reach down so far. I thought, like, I would throw it up, and he would, like, catch it, and that's how I would give to the Lord, right? And then, of course, I learned later that we don't really give to God. Like, the offering you put in the basket doesn't get, like, shipped to heaven. It's, it's to, we give to God by, by funding things that are of kingdom importance, that have kingdom value behind it. And what, what I love about verse 10 is that it's not just money, 
but it's a relationship. That for Paul, their gift, their financial gift was laced in concern and friendship and love. That they showed love and concern by giving to Paul. And, you know, Jesus repeats this. He says, where your treasures is, there your heart is as well. Now, if you give to one of our missionaries, you're going to be more concerned about, um, about the people that they get to share with, about their trip. You're going to pray for them more. Because where you put your money in, your heart follows as well. Because it's not just our money. I think it's a part of our life. The second thing Paul says is that when you give to him uh, and to ministry, that there's this credit to our account. He says, not that I desire your gift. What I desire is that more may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. That was pretty good. Sometimes I'll see that and be like, Bob? Anyways, they were a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. You know, again, when we think about giving money, it can feel very materialistic and temporal. But what this is saying is that there's actually eternal implications to our giving. It's a spiritual act. It's a spiritual act of worship. That when we give to the Lord, that there's a worship that comes out of our giving. And especially if we think about giving as um, as part of our life, when we give our money, we're giving a portion of our life, that as we give to the Lord, there's this worship of surrendering our life to him. And it's an acceptable sacrifice that it pleases God. Um, you know, I love worshiping with music. And I hope that, but I hope that that's not encompassing of all of what worship is. Worship is so many things. Worship is the way we treat each other. Worship is the way we drive. Worship is the way that we talk to our parents and our neighbors. And worship is giving as well. And God is pleased by our giving. There's a spiritual aspect to giving. But also, it says that he wants us to, Paul's saying he wants the Philippian church to give, not only for the gifts, that's not like the, his biggest desire. His biz, biggest desire is this eternal perspective that when they give this temporal thing there's eternal ramifications when he uses this word accredited to your account he's speaking about the day of judgment where jesus where we stand before jesus and we give an account of our lives we give an account of the time we've had on this earth of the talents that we've had of the people that we got to influence and that he surrounded us with our education and also of our money and it's, it's a really great day if you're a Christian because um, as a Christian, you stand before God and he, even though he sees all of our sins and failings, he wipes that away because he says Jesus has forgiven all of those things. So our accounting is not of the evil we've done because he's paid for it, but he, he's accounting the righteous things we've done. We, he's accounting the righteousness we've been given um, been imparted from Jesus and also the righteousness that we've accumulated on earth. And he rewards us for that. And I have no idea what that looks like, but it's kind of cool, right? I mean, we think about the things we hold closely on earth, like, like gold, and in heaven we step on gold, so gold is like worthless. And then I think about what, how like God would define treasure, 
how God defines giving us a reward. That's something he finds valuable. And if, if you look at the book of Revelations, the first couple of chapters, is God rewarding all his saints in different ways. Um, and, and it's pushed to this, like, judgment day. And um, I'm, like, thinking, so my hypothetical, right, is, like, we, we give up our treasure on earth for treasure in heaven, um, or we, we live a life that's righteous and God has these treasures for us. And I'm thinking, like, you know, maybe Chuck E. Cheese, like, you get these tickets and then you could buy stuff. And, then like, maybe flying is something, right? Or, like, being an amazing musician or having my ACLs back, right? <laughs> or, like, maybe, one, maybe another thing I could buy with my tickets is, like, ultra super strength. And then I could, like, go throw things or have superpowers. I don't know. I could be wrong, but I know that anything I pitch to you right now, you won't be disappointed when you go to heaven. You won't be like, Wilson promised me I could fly with these tickets, and instead I got this other treasure, and it sucks. Like, that's not going to happen. I wonder how, like, how this life will feel, and the things we, we hold closely here will feel so small when, to, when we get to heaven. And how when we give things away here, and it feels like we didn't give that much, how that will feel so large in heaven. How it will become so important there. Um, I, I, I'm like so grateful for the people who have partnered with Renew. And I've sat down with so many of them, especially the ones who came in front end. Because literally, me and Nina wouldn't be able to plant a church without them giving out of faith. And I, I sit down with them, and I just tell them, hey, like, um, we've, we've had five baptisms, and we're impacting these communities, and we're sending people on missions, and these people have come to know Christ. And I want you to know that you did this together with me. And that even though you might have never even seen our church, that everything we've done is partly because of your gift. I, I think about this girl that, you know, World Vision, they send you a picture and then you write letters. And, you know, I, I, even when I was in college, I didn't make much money or I didn't have a lot of allowance. But I would always send like my 30 bucks to this girl, right? And we got to know each other over letter writing. And then finally she aged out. And I, I kind of like hope that in heaven I get to see her and sit down with her. And I think that it wasn't very much for me, but I wonder the kind of impact it might have had in her life. I wonder the kind of future that, she, that she's living now and the people that she's able to care for and influence. And somehow all of that is credited uh, to me too. Isn't that phenomenal? I don't know how it's going to play out, but I'm really excited to buy flying powers. All right, next slide. <laughs> and then verse 19. Um, our giving has a physical... Uh, kingdom building, missionary sending value. Our giving has eternal and spiritual value in worshiping God and in, in this heaven accounting gift thing, tre treasure thing. And then I think it has personal value as well. In verse 19, it says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, I think one of the most amazing parts of giving generously is that we, in giving, it's an act of surrendering our, our lives and our finances to God. It's an act of saying, God, this is, 
this is really yours. And would you teach me to steward this? And the places you want me to be generous, I want to steward it towards generosity. And you know what's cool about letting God hold your finances um, in, in the places of generosity and richness is that he's also holding your finances when you're in poverty as well. That if, if, if he's, when, when he's holding and you're trusting him with your finances and he's calling you to give, he's also going to hold you when you're struggling and when you're taking financial risks and when you're scared. It's going to be fully in his hand. When it's in your hand and you're doing well, it's great. You can just enjoy your money. But, w- but when you're doing, ha- when it's a hard time, which we're all going to hit, it's in your hands too. And your hands will feel very insufficient and you'll be afraid and you'll be anxious. But when we trust the Lord, he's saying, he's saying that he's going to meet all of our needs in accordance to his riches. And there's this, there's this peace there. I hope that as a young church, we can experience this peace of God. That ultimately, everything we have, our whole life, would be in his hands. That when he calls us to give, we would give. And in the moments that we need to receive, we can also say, God, this whole thing has been in your hands. And I trust you to provide for me. You know, what? one thing that's helped me is that my mom told me it's, it's never going to be easy to give. And it will always be harder. And she told me that when I was in elementary school and helped me to learn how to give uh, my tithe. And it was a really valuable lesson. And I thought it was really difficult. My dad gave me like a dollar a week in first grade and he upped it by one dollar as I went up. Does that make sense? So in fifth grade, I got five dollars. And then I fell in fifth grade and I still got five dollars. In sixth grade, I got six dollars, right? And every Sunday, I like count how much my tithing would be for God. And I would faithfully give to the Lord. And sometimes I would give like above and beyond like 25% out of my dollar, which is a quarter. But it was, it was never easy. Um, and I was like, man, mom, like what if, how about I start giving to God when I'm a young adult and I start making money? And mom's like, no, it's never going to be easier. And then I became a young adult. And I was like, man, it was so much easier to give as a kid. Because like, Obviously, you know, my parents are going to pay for everything. I'm not just going to be homeless and die. And as a young adult, I'm thinking about all the bills I have to pay, right? My cell phone bill, my car insurance, my house, saving up for Nina's ring, which depleted my bank account. Um, and, and it was hard to give then. And I was thinking maybe, maybe it would be easier to give when I'm older. But I still continue to give. And then I have a family now, right? And I think about having kids. And once you have kids... It's not easy to give because there's a thousand things you need to save up for for your children. And they just feel like priority. Um, Their college education, your own life insurance, you know, whatever else you can think of. uh, Learning how to swim, learning how to play piano, violin, tutoring, paying Ben for tutoring, right? All of those things. And then your parents get older too. And then you have your kids that you're wanting to provide for. And then you have your parents who are getting older. And you can just kind of say and then at that point I would be like man like what if I gave when I retired that's like the ultimate right there's no excuses then and my my parents have passed maybe and my kids are grown up and self-sufficient and even if they're not I'm not responsible for them um and that's my hypothetical best case scenario is to not give until I retire but then I think in retirement um 
what happens, why retirement is the most difficult time to give is because if you've never given, you've created um, a deep characteristic about yourself. That giving is character. Giving is a spiritual discipline. And if you've never flexed that muscle your whole life, trust me, you're not going to flex it at 73. And so um, I had this conversation with this, with this woman who's given about $40,000 to renew to help us start up over the last couple of years. Her and her husband has a foundation. They're very wealthy. And I remember I get mentored by her once in a while. And um, I asked her, like, when did you and your husband start giving? Like, did you start giving when you became a millionaire? She's like, no. Uh, me and my husband, our first job, we made 20-something thousand a year. We were living in this small apartment. But when we got married, and even before our marriage, we decided we would be generous. That whatever God entrusted with us, we would give as much as we could. And she said, Wilson, I gave when we had 20000 a year. I gave when we had 30000 a year. We gave when we had 50000 a year. We gave when we had 200000 a year. And it never got easy, but we learned that it was all about trusting God. And that the more we gave, and it says this in 2 Corinthians, right? Like you reap what you sow. This is why I go into hardcore prosperity gospel. I'm just kidding. Uh, it's, it's pretty cool, though. I was going to, actually, I probably have it on my slide. I'll, I'll, I'll throw this over there. Let's see. Okay. Um, no? Sorry, did I, did I mess this up? Uh, two back, so one one forward, two forward. All right, here we go. So you, uh, if you reap, sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you reap spare, generously. So there's this principle, and it's talking about finances of giving to God and, and getting, and that's what she was talking about. And if you're a health and wealth guy, you'll say like you should give because you'll get more money. I watched this terrible like TBS like prosperity guy who's like give 66 no no not 66 that'd be wrong give like 74 dollars because if you give an unlikely seed you'll get an unlikely harvest of like you know 10,000 whatever dollars and um and so they've messed up this passage but the principles in in scripture and then it says god will bless you abundantly and it says so that in all things in all times having all you need you will abound in every good work. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through your generosity, it will result in thanksgiving to God. Next slide. So one perspective is that we give so that we receive. But this, this passage is saying we give first because we've been given. Because everything we have, God's given us. And we give and then we will receive. You know, principle is we will receive. Principle means that it doesn't happen every time, but that's mostly what happens. That's how God tends to operate. When we give and we steward well, he, he will give us more to steward. And then we steward more so that we can give more. The end goal is always to continue to give. The end goal isn't wrapped around us. It's wrapped around others. And that's where the mistake comes in with prosperity gospel. It's always wrapped around your own wealth. But God's saying, no, give, receive, and continue to give. And that's what she showed me. And through the story of her life, she showed me what it looked like to be about giving, no matter what she had. And she said, she quoted this uh, text to me, and it was really powerful. I pray that wherever you are in life, that your heart would be to be generous, that you would desire to give, 
Um, today we're talking about finances, but it, it's so much more than that. I hope that you would be willing to give your friendship to each other. You know, as a church, we've kind of settled in a little bit. And I, but I hope that everyone who comes in, would, we would still feel like we have one more. We're always open for one more person in our group, friendship group. We're always open for one more person to come hang out at like the OC market, right? I hope that we would be generous with our gifts, that we would desire to serve the community of Renew and to serve the communities that we've adopted. My prayer is that 100% of people who come on a Wednesday or Tuesday or Sunday night for small group would be the ones that show up at Apartment Life and at uh, our laundry mat and at our special needs uh, ministry. I hope that we would be generous and that we would lay our lives before the Lord and desire to give to him because he's given to us first and because when we give, he gets glory from us and from people around us. Father, we come to you today and we're so grateful for all that we've received. Um, I pray that our lives, every part of it, we would place in your hands. And there's this great joy and freedom that comes from placing things to giving things to you, living it, uh, living life content and full because we found it all in you, Jesus, and you hold it. Um, so I just ask that you would allow us to trust you with every aspect of our lives. Um, we think about Jesus, um, how you trusted the Father, how you trusted him with your life, even on the cross. Even at death, you trusted the Father to raise you up. We think about, Jesus, how you gave your life for us. You gave your body um, broken for us. You gave your blood shed for us. And today, as we take communion, we just remember the, the way that you sacrificed first, the way that you gave first, so that we can give and sacrifice second and in response to you so that others can know about your sacrifice and your love for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we'd love for you to spend a little bit of time in prayer and also to take communion.